Our Bible lessons from the first epistle of John now takes us to chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, which we might title, Fellowship with God and Man. There we read these words, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. These verses appear to sum up the main reason that John had in writing this epistle. He had found something glorious and wonderful in his own life, and unselfishly wanted everyone else to have what he had. His relationship with God was not superficial and fluctuating, but constant and blessed. He entered into this state by turning from all sin and receiving the gospel. It was not primarily an emotional experience, but had historical foundations in the life and atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a witness of these events, which had to be received at face value as historically trustworthy if salvation was to be partaken of. He wanted to add his testimony to help all with whom he came in contact to receive the Lord Jesus for all that he was and claimed to be. In no other way could his heart and mind find rest. On the profound and important matter of fellowship, let us inquire into, first, the nature and necessity of fellowship. The word fellowship, as used by the Apostle John, means a joint participation, a communion, a association, a partnership, or an intimacy. It is a sharing of relationship. There are obviously many degrees and kinds of fellowship or relationships which men call fellowship. The fellowship to which John is referring is of a distinct kind and therefore is not to be classified with mere casual association. John nowhere affirms that there is any salvation apart from the profound fellowship with God, which is true reconciliation. He nowhere classifies those saved into groups of those who have partaken of this relationship or restored fellowship and those who have not. The fellowship is not only with God, but with one another who have equally partaken of this fellowship with God. True fellowship with one another is only possible in that state of openness and honesty which our relationship with God brings about. Those who become saved are admitted into this blessed fold of fellowship or holy association. It is an association with the Godhead as individual persons and entering into that holy and sweet association of the heavens which has existed from eternity between the members of the Trinity. Therefore, fellowship with God, true and genuine, is what the inner being of every person is longing for. Apart from this peaceful and restful satisfaction, there is no true, complete satisfaction of life. We shall see in what follows why this inner longing exists in the human heart. But now, 
we affirm the fact which everyone must be aware of that there is this longing. There are definite reasons why this is so. Let us inquire secondly as to the qualifications or conditions of fellowship. First, there must be the endowments of personality or functional abilities to do certain things or respond in a certain way. We have the conscious fact of the intellect or the ability of reason. And the Bible also tells us about this profound ability which God has granted to man and which holds man accountable to perceive the ways of God and have obligation toward God. Apart from the ability of intellect, fellowship would be impossible. But man is not only intellect, he has an ability of experience, which we call emotion. He is not a machine, he is not a robot. He can respond in his inner consciousness. He can have waves of experience of one sort or another, which are barometers of his true genuine reactions of personality. So God has given man this ability of emotion. But man also must have free will or the ability of self-decision or free choice if he is ever to have true fellowship. These are the qualities of personality apart from which fellowship would be impossible. Secondly, since fellowship is a penetrating communion of personalities, there must be a mutual moral character of love between two or more personalities if true fellowship is to exist. Fellowship is a communication or excavation of what is in the innermost essence of personalities in all frankness and unreservedness. As soon as selfishness or hypocrisy is manifested or discovered, fellowship is ruined. Therefore, true love and inner righteousness of character is a necessity of true fellowship. This is why there is no such thing as true fellowship between men until the heart is purified through the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ in a state of repentance and in the exercise of faith. This prepares man for true fellowship with one another as well as fellowship with God. Third, there must be the opportunity of association as a condition of fellowship. Two personalities must have access to one another if communication is to take place. Apart from this, there is no possibility of taking means to have this experience of fellowship. And this leads us to inquire as to whether God is able to manifest himself personally and individually to man as a condition of fellowship. And we are overwhelmingly instructed in the Bible that this is gloriously true, that God is not only able to manifest himself, but surrounds everyone in his own manifested presence. Only this presence is shielded from man when man is in a state of rebellion and sin. The Apostle Paul wrote in Acts 17 and verse 27 these words, Though he be not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, 
as certain also of your poets have said. So here we see the positive fact that God is able to manifest himself personally and individually to man. Then fourthly, there must be a willingness on the part of both parties or of all parties involved if fellowship is to take place. Innermost communications cannot exist apart from decisions of will that it should be so. Fellowship with God can only become a reality if God is willing to reveal his great being to us and if we are willing to expose all that we are before him. Man in sin refused to live with God any longer in righteousness and holiness, and as a result, God has had to withhold his manifestations toward man, although everywhere present and surrounding man. Salvation is simply a restoration to fellowship with God or a reconciliation to God. Man repents of all falseness and confesses and forsakes all known sin. Through faith in the atoning death of Christ, forgiveness takes place, and glorious reconciliation to fellowship is restored. In the third place, we inquire as to the areas of fellowship, and this sums up what we have already commented upon. First, there is and has been from all ages past and will be throughout future eternal ages an interrupted and perpetual fellowship between the members of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a profound revelation of the New Testament in particular, which we would never know apart from its profound manifestations. The Lord Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 5, these words, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And also in verses 20 and on through 26, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and so on through this blessed passage. The second area of fellowship is the divine-human relation, which was to be the essence of man's life. This is founded in the declaration of Genesis chapter 1, and verses 26 and 7, where we are told that man was created in the moral image of God. And thus there is a similarity of endowments which man possesses to the great nature and being of God. And this is the basis of fellowship. Then second, we note that we have the record in the Bible of that perfect fellowship which existed and which was experienced by man before man rebelled from a state of love. We remark, third, that there is the opportunity of the most penetrating experience of fellowship because only God has access to the innermost thought life of our being. It is important to note that every single communication between human beings proceeds on the basis of manifestation of some sort, either through the voice or through the expression or through the action of some kind. But with God, there is that inner 
access to our very thought life and our very essence of personality. And so God can have a deeper fellowship with the human heart than any two human hearts can ever have with one another. In the 14th chapter of John, in verse 23, we read, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Think of the profound declaration that this reveals. Also in Revelation 3.20, we have this profound invitation. So the glorious gospel invitation stands with God's extended hands toward all men, beckoning that man should forsake his sin and be willing to be restored to fellowship with God. Then this blessed passage closes with the only true human fellowship that can take place between two hearts who have been reconciled to God and who have a fellowship together around the great central fellowship with the great being of God in true reconciliation. Our Heavenly Father, add thy blessing and thy forceful conviction to these profound words from the Bible. We thank thee for thy manifested love and for thy willingness to be restored to man. How we pray that many may meet these conditions this day. In Jesus' name, amen.